Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. With me today is a special guest. I'm, I'm live at, at the McCull Conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2016. And with me is Amy Farkas. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Now, uh, real quick, you've got an awesome story. Can you can you tell me a little bit about how you you went from this person working in industry to to becoming a teacher? Absolutely. I started my career um, in college, working at BASF Chemical Corporation in Wyandotte, thinking that I wanted to become an engineer. And after about the first year of engineering curriculum at U of M Dearborn, I realized you know what, I don't like math that much. I like it, but not that much. So I switched gears and went into environmental resource and policy management um, through the environmental studies program at the U of M Dearborn, which was fantastic. And I often will go back to the U of M Dearborn and run into my former um, guidance, not guidance counselor, but my former uh, mentor. And I still will joke that that degree gave me the best background for anything that I could have ever asked for, just a really broad-based educational background. But I ended up staying at BASF and being trained to work in a laboratory dealing with um, high-performance liquid chromatography, gas chromatography, mass spectroscopy, and other instrumentation in their research department. Got transferred into an industrial hygiene setting where I did exclusively um, high-performance liquid chromatography and analyzing isocyanates. And then my position was cut because 50% of our research budget was gone. Was gone. Ironically, I had a five-month-old. My second daughter had just been born, so I decided to become a stay-at-home mom. And so for the next seven years, I stayed home and I raised my two girls while staying very involved at their school, which was a key school that taught based on the multiple intelligences. So I would go in often and volunteer my time and do demos for science or just help out in general. And somebody finally said, hey, why don't you become a substitute teacher? And that's what led me to going back to school in 2009 to get my master's degree in elementary education. Well, just just listening to all the uh, the sciency talk there, the chromatography and stuff. Some of you don't don't be scared. You know, she's she's smart, but she's uh, just a neat story. I mean, volunteering and and having that turn into to becoming a teacher. Um, so so now uh, you teach at at, at Riverview. Uh, which is just just south of Detroit, and um, you're developing and and doing STEM classes. What what goes on just to create STEM classes? Um, I got hired in Riverview Public Schools last year, and I taught fourth grade at Forest Elementary, which was a pretty amazing experience. And I used a lot of technology and tried to make my class as STEMI as possible, including science and technology and engineering and math in every aspect that I possibly could. Over the summer, I was transferred over to our middle school in Riverview, Seats Middle School, and asked to teach and kind of um, build up a STEM curriculum for that age group. And I took that as a serious challenge because I love science and I love technology and I like engineering and I like math. So throwing all four of those together in project-based learning just kind of sounded like my dream job. So I did a lot of research as to what type of projects this grade level or these grade levels um, would learn the most from by analyzing the next-gen science standards, the Common Core standards, and the science standards that the state of Michigan was looking at to potentially adapt 
And the thing that I decided I wanted to focus most on was the science and the engineering processes and helping these students learn how to think differently. Because a scientist and an engineer looks at things in a very, very different way. So we start out each trimester, because my course is one trimester long, learning how to think like a scientist and think like an engineer and kind of shifting their analytical and critical thinking paradigm to be more analytical, more um, detail-oriented, and just, I hate the term think outside the box. I don't want them to think outside the box. I want them to reinvent the box. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. So through that process, you, you came up with a bunch of projects, a bunch of ideas, and, and, and now you've created one, two, and three, and you're going to be working on more. And, and so these are uh, designed as, as trimester courses, is that correct? That is correct. This year I just taught STEM 1, which is a broad-based, very... Um, I would call it a shallow focus class. They're getting little bits of every aspect of STEM to see if it's something that, number one, interests them, number two, if they have an aptitude for it, and number three, would they like to continue learning these things more in-depth? Next year, next school year, I'll have STEM 1, 2, and 3. STEM 1 is basic. STEM 2 is alternative energies and resources. And STEM 3 is NASA's best and Mars exploration. I'll be using a lot of the same tools like my LEGO EV3 Mindstorm robots and my Spheros for EDU in those classes, but they'll be using them with um, a different focus in mind for more detailed project-based learning. So, so they're basically just like elective courses, and um, each, each one, it sounds like after that first inch deep mile wide course, then, then it's, okay, let's be focused on, now can they, can they pick one or the other? Do they have, okay, so they're not sequential. Um, the classes are sequential. They're going to build upon each other. So kids can only take STEM 2 and 3 if they've had STEM 1, unless they can demonstrate to me that they have enough expertise in the areas that I focus on and that I can promote them to STEM 2. That's happened with a couple of kids. They've had enough courage to come and ask permission. And so I've given them a little, we've had a good verbal barrage of asking back and forth, you know, do you have experience with Scratch? How do you feel about robots? Are you good with your knowledge of coding? How do you feel about the engineering design process? And a few kids have gotten past that gauntlet that I run them through. So they moved straight into STEM STEM two, they didn't have to take STEM one. So, so just listening to some of those ideas, I mean, those are some pretty complicated ideas that you're teaching. Do you, is, does that make it scary? Is it hard? I mean, are you? Do you feel like you're an expert in all those things? I'm sure there's teachers listening to this thinking, what did she just say about scratch and coding? And and I've heard those things, but that's that's not easy to know all those different things. It's really not, but. Um, a very wise person, a former mentor, once told me, you don't, you're not there to teach. You're there to direct their instruction. And I take that to heart. Am I the best coder in the world? Absolutely not. But do I understand the fundamentals of what I need to teach my students? I do. Am I the most amazing engineering design person with a 3D modeling program? No, but I understand the basic fundamentals that I can then start with my students. And if they need further information, I can help them find that. And the great thing about this generation that we're teaching right now is they truly are digital natives. They're going to adapt and conquer anything that is technological. So right there, that gives me a huge leg up because they can help me just like I can help them. So, so the, the student becomes the teacher and the teacher becomes the student. That's exactly. cool. And, and, and there really is. I mean, all, all we need to do almost is just spark that interest for learning, get them, get them going a little bit, and they're going to they're gonna start showing us what, what they want to learn about. And um, it sounds like you've created some, some great courses 
um, it sounds like I'd love to be a, you know, a student in that class myself, you know. Um, any other thoughts, any other words of advice? If, if you're a teacher trying to start some STEM courses or, or even just adding some STEM, what, any, any good ideas, any starting points? Don't be scared. Yeah, definitely don't be scared. Find one thing that you are personally interested in and follow through. My personal interest has always been space. Back when I was in school, I wanted to be an astronaut. I went to space camp three times. It's something that just ignites my passion. And so through that interest, I found that NASA has some amazing resources out there. And, in fact, they have an entire free curriculum for STEM that goes K2, 3, 5, and 6 through 8. And the one I use is called NASA's Best, and Best stands for Beginning Engineering, Science, and Technology. And it's all written out for you, already aligned to next generation science standards. You just need to walk through it. So I guess my advice to you is find something you're passionate about, pursue that, and then it will lead you to different projects that will get you excited about teaching STEM, and the rest will fall in line. That's great. Well, thank you, Amy. Um, Amy Farkas from, from Riverview and, in Michigan, and um, tremendous, uh, tremendous ideas. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can definitely follow Amy on, on Twitter, and that's? At Synchro73, S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-7-3. And uh, we'll, put, we'll put those notes uh, right after the podcast on the website, as always. And, and I want to thank you, Amy, for, for joining us. Uh, great story, great just sounds like a whole lot of fun to be in a class like that. Thanks so much for having me. It was awesome. So, and actually, it was it was funny. She was telling me also this story. I got to mention this about a about a kid in your class, and they had to count out two hundred popsicle sticks. Right? Yeah. We all going to count out those two hundred popsicle sticks? No. Instead, he decided that he was going to weigh one on our digital scale and then multiply that by two hundred. But after he weighed the first one, he realized he didn't have the level of accuracy that he wanted, so he weighed ten instead. Got that weight. And then multiply that by 20. He did pretty awesome. And, and he had to make sure, was that okay? Is yeah, that okay exactly. for me to do that? That's great. So, As always, thanks for listening to the STEM Everyday Podcast on the Remarkable Chatter uh, Network. As always, listen to all the other po- great podcasts on RemarkableChatter.com, and we'll talk to you again next time. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com. <laughs>